Well, why faith? Why is faith so important? You know, Scripture tells us this in Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. And for those of you who are here and you've been exploring faith, this is really important to understand that God is not primarily looking for you to prove you're good enough. And he's not primarily looking for you to jump through some religious hoops. He's primarily looking for you to trust in him, to have faith in him. And without faith, you can't please him. But conversely, it's not hard, in fact, to please God. It goes on and it says, anyone who wants to come to him must simply believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It's not hard to please God. We take a step of faith. We trust in him. But it doesn't end there for those of us who have believed before. That's just the first step. And growing in faith is actually what it's all about. But why? Why is faith such a big deal to God? And what is faith? You know, the last few weeks we've been talking about how this unseen, hidden God uh, reveals himself, but, but not so much as to force us, because God doesn't want obedient slaves who have no choice. He wants loving children who freely choose to follow him. And we've been talking about how God has given enough reasons to believe so that those who seek can truly find. And we've been looking at the reasons to believe that Jesus really was the one who revealed what this invisible unseen God is actually like. And there's lots of evidence on that, and we've touched on just a little bit, but all the evidence in the world won't really matter because at the end of the day, it's not an intellectual exercise God's interested in. It's a giving of our hearts back to him. Take a look at this, just as an example. Um, what do you see? Some people see three words. God is nowhere. But some people see four words. God is now here. And in many ways, that is the, the world God has constructed. Where many times we see what we're looking for. Like, if, if we want to see, there's plenty of evidence that God is now here. But if what we really want is to keep God out of our lives so that we can play God, so that we can pretend we are masters of our own fate of the universe, he allows that. And so let me ask you, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Do you want to find God? Do you want to seek to see is there really this God of love who cares about me? Or am I really looking for reasons to keep him out? And that is exactly why faith is necessary. Now, some people will say, well, I don't have faith. I mean, some people have faith, you religious types, you know. You guys have faith. I don't have faith. I believe what I can see and touch and objectively prove. But what I would say is you're not totally being honest with yourself. Everyone has faith. Even an atheist has faith. I mean, think about it this way. All right, let's, let's say this stage up here represents all the knowledge in the universe. All of it. Everything. Okay? So, so think about all that knowledge. Think about all the knowledge of the human species. All understanding about our anatomy. How our cells all talk to one another. How all our organs and systems work together. All the mysteries like DNA. Do you know that every strand of DNA has a library's worth of information? Think of all that knowledge. There are billions of cells in our bodies. 
You know, how do they fight cancer? Why do they sometimes not? All the mysteries of the mind and the spirit and the soul. What is it that energizes life that leaves when we die? Imagine all that knowledge and all the knowledge to any problems you've ever had. Anybody ever had any problems? Or know anybody who's had problems? Yeah? Maybe you're sitting next to someone who looks like they have problems. Maybe you're sitting next to your problem, huh? <laughs> Imagine all the solutions to all our problems, right? And, and then think about not just the knowledge of, of the human species. Think about every species. Think about all the knowledge of every insect and, and animal, every plant, uh, every tree. You know, do you realize that we have categorized two million species uh, of, of animals you know, of living creatures, but we think there's seven million. <laughs> we, we don't even know the names of, we discover so many more. Think about all that knowledge, all right, and, and earth science and how all the mysteries of plate tectonics and the weather cycles and all the mysteries of earth, and that's just earth. And then think about all the mysteries and knowledge of, astron of astrophysics, right, of dwarfs and black holes and you know, quantum physics and general relativity and, and, and the mystery of, uh, of time and dimensionality. You know, our scientists tell us we, we can't just have four dimensions of time and space because quantum physics and general relativity don't fit together. They don't work unless they're like 11 hidden dimensions of time and space. Imagine all that knowledge. And then think about all the knowledge of every planet around every sun in every galaxy, okay, and there are billions of galaxies. Okay, now think that all that knowledge is represented on this stage, and what if I gave you a pen, and I said, okay, now you come up here and draw a circle on this stage that contains the amount of all the knowledge in the universe that you have right now. How big would your circle be? A unless you're really, really deceived, it would be a very, very small dot microscopic right for all of us now think about it for an atheist to say I know there is no God isn't it at least possible just possible that somewhere beyond your tiny dot of understanding somewhere in this vast realm of knowledge of the universe that God actually does exist isn't that at least possible now if an atheist says no I know there is no God now, can you see how that is a huge leap of faith beyond what you objectively know? We all have faith. That's, that's my only point here. We all have faith. We couldn't live without faith. Faith is just trust. And because we can't know everything, we have to trust beyond what we can know, what we can control. You know, some people say, well, I believe in science, right? But what they don't mean is that I only believe in things that I personally have scientifically tested or objectively proved. Because think about it. Um, if you think there are billions of galaxies, which I personally do, right? Have you ever seen a galaxy for yourself? Have you counted the galaxies for yourself? Or even done the math to, to uh, extrapolate? Probably not, right? Or if you think the Earth is 4 billion years old, which I think there's good evidence for that, how do you know? I mean, have you ever carbon dated a rock for yourself? No. You've trusted in people. You've put faith in people who have done the science. We all have faith. 
We couldn't live without it. Faith is practical, too. Every time you get on an airplane, you exhibit faith. Right? Am I right? I mean, you may have evidence that you can put your faith in that airline, but do you scientifically know? I mean, did you go and meet the pilot and, and check that he actually has a license? Right? Did you talk to the mechanic to make sure that plane can actually get you from Austin to L.A.? Did you check to see if they put enough fuel in the plane? No. And yet, you step onto that plane, you exhibit faith, trust in that airline. In fact, you entrust your entire life into the hands of that airline despite the fact they can never get your luggage to the same city you're going to. <laughs> right? Am I right? You know, the, the, the Hubble telescope sent back you know, uh, pictures from outer space. And when it sent back the pictures of Saturn, it found uh, this, that it's almost all <laughs> lost airline luggage. <laughs> we all have faith. We all trust in something for life and security and hope. It may be God. It may be yourself. It may be some other person, but we all have faith. The question is, how reliable is the object of your faith? Now, maybe you're saying, well, airlines have track records. There's, there's evidence for that. Well, do you realize God's not asking for blind faith? He's given lots of evidence, lots of reasons to believe that he really did send Jesus to, to reveal his character. And we've been looking at some of the, the historical evidence. There's much, much more. And, and if you haven't been here the last few weeks... Go on our website on gatewaychurch.com, click on New Here, Explore Faith, and listen to all those messages. Go read some of the books out there. But what you need to realize today is that the faith that God wants is with a different purpose. The faith God wants is about love. It's not different than all these other faiths, but it's about love. God wants you to know Him, and He wants to be known by you, and that's why faith is so important. You know, we've been saying for 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, so that the past 4,000 years, God has been revealing his motive, and his motive is love. That's what God is all about. 4,000 years ago, he calls Abraham and Sarah to form the Jewish nation, and he said, because I want to bless, I want to love and bless all nations. And he wants us to love him back by faith. But why faith? That's how all relationships work. That's why it says in James 2.23, Abraham believed or trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. It was faith or trust or belief. They're synonyms. They all mean the same thing that Abraham, the father of the Jewish and Arab nations, put into God, and it made him right with God. And it was his continual willingness to trust to step out in faith and trust in God's promises, even when his faith got tested, that earned him the, the, the title friend of God. And do you realize that's what God wants to call you? Friend. That's God's motive. But the problem is friendship, relationship. It always requires faith. You know, when I first met my wife, Kathy, I was immediately attracted to her, extremely attracted to her, but I quickly jumped to the wrong conclusion, like 180 degrees wrong, because I didn't really know her. 
she, she, my wife is really smart, and she was doing really well in financial consulting. She was flying around the country, opening up new offices, and, you know, kind of the, the jet-setting life, and making good money, and status, and all that, and I just assumed, because of where I was at in life, which is I was leaving the business world, I was leaving engineering to go into ministry, and so I just made an assumption that she would never do that, and so I almost walked away. And made the biggest mistake of my life because I really didn't seek yet to know her. I didn't have faith or trust in her character because I hadn't taken the time yet to really wait and seek to know her. And now I know her a whole lot better and she is actually the most unpretentious, non-materialistic, servant-hearted person I've ever known in my life. But see, the point is relationship requires faith relationships is a dance of trust if you and I are going to have a relationship you have to trust me enough to reveal things about yourself and the more I know you the more I'm willing to trust you and trust myself to you and reveal more things about myself and as we do this dance of trust and trusting ourselves more and more to each other the friendship or relationship grows so relationship takes faith. It takes risk, right? That's why so many of you singles keep swearing off dating. It's too much risk, right? It takes faith. Now, here's the thing. All of us have an image of God that is distorted in some way. We must. I mean, we're talking about the being who knows all of this knowledge and created it all. And so none of us can fully contain the, the being who created all this in our heads so how do we really know if our image of God in our heads is really who God is? Well, it depends on two things. One, God honestly revealing himself to us somehow and us really seeking to know and understand God for who he really reveals himself to be. That's just like intimacy with my wife grew as I, as I sought to know her more and she revealed more and I trusted more over time. And that's the way God works too. The way we grow close to God is we trust him, what he says, his promises more and more over time. And that's how intimacy with God grows. Trust is the bedrock of relationships. Friendships are built on trust, on faith. You know, when I hear people say, well, I just don't feel close to God. It's just, it's just not working for me. I find it's almost always because they don't understand how faith works. And we're going to talk a lot more about this in a series we're going to start in two weeks called All The Places You'll Go, okay? So don't miss that. But let me just say, uh, faith works kind of like a spiritual muscle. You know, just like your, your physical muscles, right? They only grow when they're tested, when they're stretched out of what's comfortable over time. You know, I, I started working out, lifting weights again six weeks ago. Um, I decided to stop because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to comb my hair. You're not worried about me, are you? <laughs> yeah, because you know that, that to, to truly build muscle, it takes time, and you've got to stretch those muscles beyond what's comfortable again and again over time, right? And it's the same way with our faith muscle. God allows that faith muscle to get tested or, or stretched. We have to stretch and trust more beyond what is just comfortable. And as we do, we start to see God at work 
and we start to trust more because we know more and the relationship grows stronger. Relationship with God begins with a first step of trust. It's what we're marking and celebrating today with baptism. When we trust that God really does love us and he really will forgive us and he'll make us right related with himself when we simply turn back to him in faith. Now, the truth is we can't see the invisible God as we've been talking about. So he has to choose to reveal himself, and yet that's exactly what he claims in the scriptures. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, there is a mystery there, okay, I'll admit, has made him known. In other words, what God was doing through Jesus is making known his character the invisible, infinite God who knows all this and is outside this that we can't understand, revealing his character in a form we could. He became one of us to answer our deepest questions of relational trust. That he loves us so much, he, there's nothing he would hold back, even his own life, for you and me. So we'll trust him. But Jesus did something else as well. You know, deep inside, all of us, everywhere on this planet, we know we've done wrong. Right? I mean, think about it. We haven't even keeping our own moral code, much less a perfect God's moral code. I mean, have you ever said, I'll never, but you did? You ever disappointed yourself? So how can we say, oh, I'm good, as in I've perfectly kept God's moral code? None of us can. None of us. And, and, and the thing is, what does God do with that? Because what we tend to do is run and hide from God because of that. We try to justify ourselves. That's why we judge each other, to justify ourselves. We try to prove we're good enough, yet ironically, God says we can never become who we were intended to be unless we are reconnected to the very source of life and love itself. We were created for a relationship with our creator. And so God removes every barrier between every human and himself except one. Our free will we must choose God by faith he works with our willingness see the book of Romans in the Bible talks about this relationship of faith and and relationship to God it says in Romans 3 23 for everyone is sin we've all fought we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins, our wrongs. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. God did, did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he is fair and just. And he makes sinners, you and me, right in his sight when they believe or trust or have faith in Jesus. Now can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, no. Because our acquittal, our being made right with God, is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith. Here's the point of this. God loves every person that he created so much. He made a way to forgive them and take them back if they'll simply in their hearts turn back to him in faith, in trust that what he says is true. And he did this through Jesus. Now, you know, just like my relationship with Kathy began with a simple declaration of faith, I do. You know, that's what marriage is. It's, it's, a, it's a faith commitment of one to another. 
And God is saying, you can know you are right with, the, with your creator forever. You can know that without a shadow of a doubt. Why? Not because of what you did, will do, or won't do, but because of his love and forgiveness offered through Jesus. God accepts you when you turn back to him in faith because of Jesus. Now, why faith in Jesus, though? You know, some will say, well, why, why couldn't, if God wants to forgive us, why was Jesus necessary? Why not just forgive us? Well, because you can't just forgive and have justice or have things set right. Someone has to pay. Now, think about it. You know, let, let's say you buy a brand new 2017 Tesla, okay? Don't you wish. <laughs> and, and I ask to borrow your new Tesla, and you say yes. This is like a real big fantasy, okay? And, and, and you say only one condition, don't drive on windy roads, okay? And I say, sure, but I know I can handle it. And so I go against your will, and I go out on windy 2222 because I want to test if a 2017 Tesla can really go 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. And it can, but I total your Tesla. I make your Tesla look like Odessa, nothing but ugly, all right? And, and I come to you with your totaled car, and I say, hey, why don't you just forgive me? Can you just forgive and things be set right as the way they were before I sinned against you? That's what set right means. That's what righteousness is. Well, for, for righteousness to be done, for things to be set right, as they were before I sinned against you, you need a new Tesla, so someone has to pay. Either me or you for forgiveness and righteousness to be done. You see that? And so what God does, because he doesn't want us to have to pay, because payment means separation from the very source of life and love. That's death. That's spiritual death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And God doesn't want that, so he pays for us so that anybody can simply turn back in faith or trust and be made right with God. It goes on in Romans 3 to say this. After all, is God the God of the Jews or the Christians only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles, of all people? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. You know, I hear people often today get concerned. They're like, well, what about people who have never heard about Jesus? Well, this makes it really clear that God didn't do what he did through Jesus just for us, just for Christians, just for Jews. He did it for all people everywhere. And he did it so that people can know, even if you've had bad karma, even if you've not perfectly kept the five pillars of Islam or the eightfold path, of Buddhism or the Ten Commandments of Judaism, even if you've broken your own moral law, God doesn't stand ready to judge and condemn you. He stands ready to forgive and take you back because of what Jesus did. Well, what if someone's never heard of Jesus? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us the answer to that question of how God deals with people who have never heard, but it does tell us God is fair and just and loves everybody enough to die for them. So truly, you and I don't need to worry about that. But the Bible also tells us that people will be made right with God by faith because of what Jesus did, and yet they had never heard his name. Who? 
all the people of faith of the Old Testament. Abraham, Noah, Moses, Rahab, Sarah, right? So somehow God took the faith they had in the light he had given them and applied it to what Jesus would do for them. So could he do the same today? I guess so. We don't know. What we do know is God wants everyone in the world to know what he's done for them in Jesus. Why? So they don't fear his judgment and condemnation. So they come into relationship securely with him and learn to trust him more and more because that's how he grows us. That's how he changes us. Some people will say, well, isn't faith just an excuse? Kind of like, you know, Christians say, well, I'm forgiven. And so then they just go, you know, I'm going to heaven. So they just live like hell. But that's not the point at all. And Romans 3 goes on and says that. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean we can forget about the law, about right and wrong? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. See, God's point is not to just make us externally look a little better. He wants to change us from the inside out. The law says don't murder. So maybe you don't stab someone in the back, but what if you want to in your heart? What if you hate that person? That's not God's intent. God doesn't want you to just act a little better on the outside. He wants to change you where you don't even hate. And not where you just act kind and yet in your heart you, you are judgmental and, and unkind. He wants to change your heart to be different. That's what it means that it's only in relationship with God, walking by faith with him, where he can actually change our hearts. So we're not just acting different on the outside, we're motivated different on the inside. That's how God changes us. Not against our will, with our willingness or our faith. That's why faith. Now today is Baptism Sunday. Um, last week out in Branson, at Gateway Branson, they celebrated baptism. Nine people got baptized out in Branson. Isn't that cool? Way to go, guys. And uh, today, we are celebrating baptism. Baptism, to God, is like his wedding celebration or like an, a, an adoption ceremony. When God offers this proposal and we accept by faith, and God's proposal is simply this, I love you. All is forgiven in Jesus. Come home. Come home. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. We can be made right with God. We can come home to God now and forever by a simple prayer of faith. It's like that I do. And then God asks us to go public with that faith, celebrating it in baptism. Talks about it in Romans, Romans 6, 3. It says this. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. See, baptism is that outward demonstration of an inward reality that no one but you and God can see. When in your heart you turn back in faith and say, I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want relationship with you, God. He says, done deal. You put your faith there, he's already got faith in you. He's already ready. But then he asks us to mark that publicly because God wants to show all heaven you. Isn't that an incredible thought? 
that, that God is doing something, showing all of the angels that he's created, all of the heavenly beings, how love triumphs over evil. And he wants to show you off. And when you publicly get baptized, you're publicly declaring when you go down into the water that Jesus died and was buried for me. It should have been me paying for my wrongs. He did it for me. I identify with him. And when you come up out of the water, you're declaring, and I believe that, that death didn't hold Jesus down, that by God's power, he came to life to give me new life now and forevermore. I'm clean. And so baptism is this public demonstration. And it's not, it's not that we do it for ourselves. We do it for God. It's our first act of love toward God. Think about this. He identified with you and me by hanging on a bloody cross to pay for all our wrongs. And all he asks for us is to publicly identify with him by getting wet. But it's a celebration of what God has done. And I want to tell you, if you've never done that, if you've put your faith in what God's done through Jesus, or you want to today, you can. And mark it with baptism if you never have. Today's the day. Yeah, maybe you didn't come prepared. It doesn't matter. You can go in your clothes. We'll give you a towel. You can take it home. So what? What a small thing to do for God who publicly identified with us by hanging on a cross. You know, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son to demonstrate the heart of God toward you and me. I want you to listen to an adaptation of that. Philip Yancey did it, and I paraphrased it. So you get what Jesus is saying, his heart, God's heart toward you. A 17-year-old girl grew up in Austin, Texas. Her parents were a bit old-fashioned. They tended to overreact to her tattoos and music and clothes. She began to rebel and disobey, and they grounded her a few times. She seethed inside. When her father said, no, she can't go out with a boy three years older than she is, she screamed, I hate you, and finally acted on what she had been rehearsing in her head many times. She ran away. She goes to New York City, figuring they'll never find her or even look for her there. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the nicest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride and buys her lunch and is really nice and arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right. Her parents were just keeping her from life. This is the life. And this good life begins and, and continues for one month and two months and a whole year. The man with the big car, her, who her new girlfriends call boss, he teaches her a few things that men like. And since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. And she gets the benefits. She gets to live in a penthouse. She gets anything she wants. Room service whenever she wants. Life is a party. Once in a while, she thinks about her boring folks back home and thinks about how provincial their life is. But after about a year, the first sallow signs of illness appear. She's amazed at how fast the boss turns abusive. These days, we can't mess around, he yells. And before she knows it, she's kicked out on the streets without a penny. She turns a couple of tricks a night to try to make ends meet, but most all of it goes to support her habit. Then winter blows in. She finds herself sleeping on metal grates downtown where a little warm air comes up. Dark bands circle her eyes, her cough worsens. 
One night as she lays awake listening for footsteps so she won't be raped, she no longer feels like a woman of the world. Instead, she feels like a little girl, lost and cold in a frightening city. She starts to whimper. Her pockets are empty. She's hungry. She needs a fix. A single image fills her mind. Austin in the spring. The warm weather, the blossoms on the trees, her dog running for the tennis ball she just threw, the love of her home. God, why did I run away? The question stabs at her heart. My dog ate better than I do now. Now she's sobbing. And in a flash she realizes, I just want to go home. Three straight phone calls, go to voicemail. The third time she leaves a message. Dad, Mom, it's me. I want to come home. Can I? Will you even take me back? I know I've hurt you so bad. But I'm going to catch a bus to Austin. It's going to get there midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, I'll understand. I know how much I've hurt you anyway. I, if you're not there, I'll just stay on the bus. That bus ride was the longest ride of her life. She thought about all the grief, all the hurt she'd put her parents through. Why should they take her back? She had prepared a speech. Dad, I'm so sorry. I know I was wrong. Can you forgive me, please? She hadn't apologized to anybody in years. The air brakes of the bus hiss as it rolls into the station in Austin. She glances in her mirror. She sees how worn she looks. I'm a mess. I'm going to just stay on the bus. Just then she hears a knock on the window. And through the dark tinted glass, she sees the smile of her father, arms outstretched. She runs off the bus. Nothing could have prepared her for what she saw. A mob of people fill the station. Her brother and sisters, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandmother and grandfather, all wearing party hats with a big banner. Welcome home, we love you. And her dad pushes through the crowd, runs toward her. With tears quivering in her eyes, she starts her memorized speech. Dad, I'm so sorry. But he grabs her in the tightest embrace she's ever felt and says, Hush, child. All is forgiven. My little girl is home. And then he cries out, My girl's come home. She was lost, but she's found. Let's go party to my house to celebrate. And Jesus said, this is the heart of God toward you. Jesus' words, God, his father, saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. We must celebrate with a feast, he cried out, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. If you're ready to come home, why don't you just tell him in your heart today? While the band plays a song, just turn back to him in your heart and say, God, I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want your forgiveness. I want to come home to you. It's all he requires. And if you've never marked that in baptism, why don't you decide today, I'm going to do it today. And then I'm going to come up after the song and I'll lead us in prayer.
himself now and forever and all he needs is a heart turning back to him if you'd like to pray with someone there'll be people down here who'd love to pray if you want to get baptized head out there we'll pray with you out there but let's pray together right now and God some of us here today we've been wrestling with you and and you've been tugging at us you've given us those little signs not to overwhelm us but to show us you do want us to come home and God what an amazing picture Jesus gave that you are the God not who just stands with open arms but when we turn our hearts back you run toward us to embrace us and so right now some of us who've never told you before just want to say God I want your forgiveness offered in Jesus I want you in my life. I want relationship with you. Come, be God of my life. Lead my life. And if that's what's in your heart, just tell him. In your own words, he knows your heart. And God, thank you that that's all you require. To know we are safe, we are secure with you forever. And Lord, you do that not so that we'll just keep staying the same, but so that we'll trust you in faith more and more every day that that relationship, that trust will grow and help all of us here, Lord. Grow, take steps toward you in faith, take steps to believe what you've told us and what your will is and that we'd be willing to follow you in that so that we might become the loving people, the life-giving people you intended us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.